So today is February 25th, 2018, and our message is called Patriarchal Power and Toxic Masculinity. And if we're going to cover a subject like that, I didn't feel right about doing it without asking Elder Charlie to come and pray for us to kick this off. Father God, I feel like I need to pour some oil till it runs down their beard. (laughs) (laughs) Father God, we just give you glory and honor, Lord God, for what you're doing here, Lord God, in this word today. In the name of Jesus. Father God, you set this... This mission, you set this in motion years ago, Father God. And truly, you are developing the house. You are building the house, Lord God. And by your hand and your word, Lord God, be upon them and their strength, Lord God. And your word today come forth. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen. 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 As we get started today, I just wanted to mention that... Being able to go to the Browns' house this evening and the Piro's house is a tremendous blessing. We're going to do that and we're going to fellowship across the board because when it comes down to it, the Browns are just a downright excellent example of what a family is. Isn't that true? Many of the things that I'll be preaching about today with my brother Boj, I learned first from sitting in the Browns' house and watching them. And uh, that was a blessing in every way. Let's... Let's hop right into the subject. Amen? Amen. So today, it's become popular to criticize patriarchal roles. The world and the worldly church seems to have come to the conclusion that masculinity is the root of all evils. Yeah, we see it in our skinny jeans and glitter sparkle on the young men's foreheads these days. Not only is masculinity not toxic... It's in fact the cure to much of the spiritual and social chaos that we're seeing all around us. You'll see that put forward clearly today. So today in a discussion style, Eric and I would like to bring you through the Bible, conversational style. We just want to show you how the patriarchs did it and why this patriarchal model is critical to our development as, uh, as the generations come up behind us. Amen. We're also working on a very important assumption here. We have to understand that we are talking about men in our teaching today who are fully submitted to God, full of the Holy Spirit, and are absolutely head over heels in love with Jesus. Amen. Yeah, when we talk about defining the measure of a man, we're going to have to do that as one who is submitted to the power of the Holy Ghost. You know, for the purpose of our discussion, we're not going to cover the mythical male. The one who brutally abuses his children, subjugates his wife. I've been in spirit-filled churches for 24 years. And those things are non-existent in the spirit-filled churches. They're often used as a fear tactic. Much like in Mexico, they might talk about a chupacabra coming to get you. Or a boogeyman somewhere else. Or the abominable snowman. For gender equality purposes today, I think we are to say abominable snow woman. But seriously, our hope is that we can assume 
that godly behavior is going to be the norm in the man that we're talking about today. Amen. All right. So as we're studying the uh, the first scripture, which is going to be out of our uh, Old Testament law, we came across number seven. However, in the NASB, this scripture reads a little bit different than it does in the NIV. Yeah. It goes like this. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their father's households, made an offering. They were the leaders of the tribes. They were the ones who were over the numbered men. This word, father's households, comes in here. So now we're seeing that to be a leader, you will ultimately be leading in the same way as your father did, your father's household. He led his father's household. You will lead your father's household. That was a very interesting find for me, and it blessed me because it kind of sets the stage for how this is all supposed to go. The idea here, the, the, the objective is that as men, we are raising up our, our sons to be able to someday, ultimately, as we get older, to lead us and to pastor us. Is, yeah. is, would, would that not make more sense? Yeah, is that incredible? When I got to pass to Elder Bodge's house this morning, I was prepared to discuss John Eldridge's phases of masculinity. I was prepared to discuss many things, but in true elder fashion, Bodge was in number seven. And where the NIV says leaders, the NASB simply says the heads of their father's households. How many of you men have ever thought of yourself as the head of your father's household? But that is exactly how the word describes it. This reveals something. There is a Greek word called teleos. It's not present in this verse, but it's, it's a common principle that we need to gather the, the word teleos in Greek means the thing at which you are aiming, the goal. Sometimes, like in John 13, 1, it's translated the full extent of. To show them the full extent of his love, the teleos of his love, he did something. Well, the full extent of your masculinity, the full extent of what it means to be a man, is that you would be able to surpass your father. A father wants his children to surpass him in every field of endeavor. Say every. Every Every field of endeavor. That's the goal of a good father. So let me ask you something, gentlemen. Do you feel threatened by your sons quickly advancing in the kingdom? Is there an ego that springs up that says, uh, they cannot surpass me? Would you look at that and, and would you say with joy that this is what we need? Can you look at your sons and say, I need you to be better than me? I need you to do more than I did. Is it unthinkable that your son would be a more capable man than you? The day that you start to depend on your sons is the day that you really start to wake up. It's a day where new revival really starts to happen in your life. I can see it in my own son. The more I see him grow and the more I can see him advancing in the kingdom, this, this blesses me every day. It is, it is a powerful thing to be able to recognize that and to allow it to happen. Amen. Are we going to grow up men or are we going to grow up children? That's the question. So as we move through this program here, what are we going to desire to do? Do we want to make men that will surpass us? Or are we going to have boys at the age of 30 that don't know what they're doing? You find out rather quickly in the scripture 
that we're not called to raise children. To raise a child means that you start with a child and you end with a child. We're actually supposed to be raising adults. The biblical pattern is that investment in your son is the guarantee of your welfare in your future. The Bible literally presents them as arrows in the hands of a warrior. The thing with which you are able to contend with the enemy with. In other words, your future is only secure as the kind of men that your sons become. Oh, come on. That's not thought provoking to you. Turn with us to Judges 6. When you get to Judges 6, discover the 12th verse. And while you're there, call out and say, I'm there. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You know, much has been preached about that verse. I think we just covered it Monday night in Foundations. But one of the most amazing things is that our God and Father sent an angel to speak for him. And he says to Gideon what every father should want for his son. He says, the Lord is with you. What better gift could you give your son than the Lord being with you? What better gift, what higher accolade? Look, I think it was Justin Treister that said, if your son is incapable of learning Torah and teaching it, perhaps he could become a doctor or a lawyer. And that's why as he was quoting the ancient sages when he said it, the highest honor in a life would be that your children would be godly and godly in every way. Can you confidently say the Lord is with my son? The second thing that he says to him is mighty warrior. This reveals something about the heart of God, doesn't it? First John 3, 8 is something that I've been quoting for years. And the second half of the verse says, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now I want you to think about that for just a second. God the father did not come and destroy the devil's work. Who did he send? See, sons go out further than their fathers do. They go out in their father's name. They contend with the enemy. It is your son that will contend with the enemies that you're unable to put down. It is your children that will carry forward the purposes that God started in your life. How special is that? How extraordinary is that? So we see Gideon, who started off on a threshing floor. He was afraid. He was terrified because everything around him was chaos. So I ask you, when the Lord called him, did he see him as a weakling or did he see him as a mighty warrior? Clearly it says mighty warrior. So when we deal with our sons and when we're teaching our boys, our men that are, that are to be excellent men in the Lord, how about we look at them as mighty warriors instead of little babies? Let's look at them the way the Lord did, in, as what our sons will ultimately become. Yes. Amen. And if we keep doing that, then it will help us to raise them to what they need to be. Amen. We have to bring out the spiritual warrior in our sons. We have to teach them to be fighters. And we have to teach them to battle against evil. And we have to teach them to be real men. So if we stop treating them like little babies as they grow, then we will have men. But treat them like babies, and we will always have babies. You know, another way to say that is maybe we should not 
punish them with the soft bigotry of low expectations. When you look at your son and think of him as not as capable as you, you're probably right, but your job is to make him become more capable than you. So something as simple as backing a trailer down a driveway and telling your son, move, I'll do that. Well, then when will he learn to do it? But the more important issue is spiritual matters. When we're talking about what it means to contend with the enemy, what it means to stand and pray, you know, it's perfectly acceptable for a very young boy to be sheltered from every harm in life. That's because he's a very young boy. But at some point, he wants adventure. And if you don't teach him how to contend with the enemy, he'll look for adventure in things like video games, conquest on his phone through websites he shouldn't be looking at. These are the direct result of not being engaged in actual life, in real battle. They're supposed to learn this from their fathers. And if you're sitting there saying, you know, I don't, I, Pastor, I appreciate what you're saying, but, you know, you, you got sons and I, I got daughters. Yeah, what kind of man do you want your daughter to marry? The kind that is an intergalactic Xbox <laughs> assassin? Or the kind that knows how to defend his family, spiritually and otherwise, and fight for the goal of the gospel. You know, what, what Elder Bosch was saying about Gideon and him being a mighty warrior even though he was hiding, I got onto that subject the other night. I got so excited. I found something I had never seen before. Look at Judges 6 in verse 31. Did you slide your finger down and find it? But Joash, Joash, by the way, is uh, not a Hebrew curse word. <laughs> it is uh, Gideon's father. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him. Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is God, he can defend himself when someone else breaks down his altar. Check out Gideon's father, Joash. He was ready to kill anyone who attacked his son, even though his son just tore down his idols. Oh, wow. Listen to me, dads. If your son attacks your idols, are you happy or sad? Because whatever you thought about Joash, it seems that his son attacking his idols was something he was ultimately pleased with. Maybe he realized he had let down his guard spiritually. That he had just kind of folded his hands and let things go their course for seven years or so. He, he stood up as a mighty warrior for his son, whom God was calling to be a mighty warrior. That's an incredible thing, don't you think? Man, don't let your guard down. Don't let evil come in the way and and be a stumbling block to what the, the, the things that you need to do with your sons. Our jobs to watch our sons soar spiritually is not just going to happen. The Lord, the Lord will not simply just will it to happen. This is a process that we have to be involved in. This is, this is daily discipleship. This is daily growing. This is teaching. This is showing, demonstrating. This is a lot of things. In the case of Gideon's father, don't you suppose that something woke up in him? Yeah, and those idols I came down. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading that and I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, that, that would really fire me up. You know, I, I see my son doing something righteous 
and pleasing to the Lord, that really wakes me up. It gives me some kind of revival in my soul that is, that is uh, I can't explain, but it's good. So let's raise up these men actively, hands-on type instruction, and let's do such a good job that they can take care of us one day. While we're speaking about that, it's the father's job to instruct the son spiritually. But now Gideon is older. And Gideon's actions are actually sparking revival in the father. Can I tell you how many times it works that way? How many times I've seen that as a pastor? Why don't you raise your hand in this room if your children have done something that caused you to take the word more seriously? Yeah, look around. See, this is the greatest investment you could ever make. So moving on then, let's take a look at 1 Chronicles 28, 9 through 10. Amen. Elders taking us from the law to the prophets, right into the writings. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Come on, man. Somebody say, be strong. Be strong. And do the work. And do the work. This morning, as Elder Baj and I kicked this around, we noticed something. How many directives do you think are in that passage of Scripture? Yeah, it's incredible. Let's put them on the screen and just leave them up there for people to meditate on for a minute. It's our only slide for the day. So not the passage, but the slide. There you go. The first one, acknowledge the God of your father, right? When you think about this, Genesis 29, 24 might come into play in your thoughts. We're going to leave this slide here. I'll quote it for you. Because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob... Because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel. Because of your father's God who helps you. That is Jacob praying over his children. You can't teach somebody to acknowledge your father's God if he's not your father's God. The patriarchs had such a powerful relationship with the Lord that when they prayed for their children, they didn't say, may the God... They didn't say, may somebody else's God, that God they preach at church. They said, may your father's God, the shepherd who's watched over me all my life. Because the son had been with the father and he knew who his father's God was. Come on now. That's how we want to raise our children, isn't it? First Chronicles 29.10. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel. So this is David. He's on his deathbed. We have to see what kind of pattern he laid out for his son. In other words, what I'm saying is his sons had to see and understand and experience and live the pattern that their fa- that his father set up for him. It's impossible that he didn't because of the way that, uh, that it all turns out. And so what I want to ask you today, I want to ask everybody, Daniel, Justin, Paul, what do your children see? in your daily life? What are they looking at? So what are you showing them by the demonstration of your life before God? That's the question. What kind of pattern 
are you laying down for your sons to follow so that they can continue the work except do it a hundred times better than you do it? Do they see you interactively, engaging, involved yourself with God? Do they, do they see you crying out to the Lord? Do they see you praying? Do they see you studying and, and, and digging into the Word? Do, do they see these good things? Or do they see men that, that only work, that are not nice to their moms? These are examples. Mm. Okay. What do they see when they watch your daily life? The important thing here, gentlemen, is that we have to set the pattern that our sons can follow. It doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from somewhere. It comes from what the Lord is teaching us through the generations. Amen. So Amen. if we lay it down correctly, our sons will have something to follow. Amen. And that's good news, isn't it? Because you then lay down a pattern that they will follow. The word promises us that. In fact, that goes into our next subject. We move from acknowledge the God of your father to serve wholeheartedly. Come on, wholeheartedly. What would be the alternative? Half-heartedly. Don't act like what the alternative is. The last time somebody put Brussels sprouts in front of you, don't you tell me you wholeheartedly embrace that. You might have eaten it just not to offend somebody, but you didn't want to eat that. When we talk about wholeheartedness, the scripture that comes to mind for me is Deuteronomy 6.4. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Is it any surprise that three verses later, Moses says, impress them upon your children. See, this wholehearted devotion, it's something that you learn from your father. You know, the way that you approach your study of the word, the way that you approach attendance at church, the way that you approach sacrificial behavior will teach your children how they should approach those things. Isn't it worth asking right now? Am I serving with all of my heart or just two days a week? Am I serving with all of my heart or just a portion of my heart? Because the Lord is worthy of all of your heart and your children are worthy of all of your heart. Don't you agree? Uh, David is pouring his heart out to the Lord. He is praying on behalf of his son Solomon. He wants, obviously wants him to do well. He has learned from his father. And now he is appealing to the Lord to give him strength to do much more. The appeal here in 1 Chronicles 29, 19, David prays specifically for his son to have wholehearted devotion. He's about to embark on the biggest thing that has ever happened, maybe in history. This huge, yeah. incredible temple that has to be built. He wants his son to be devoted to that. It's a good thing. That's a good thing. Do we want our sons to, to be devoted to good things? Yeah. Holy things, spiritual things of God? Yes, we do. So I ask you, I ask you very seriously, gentlemen. Why do we sacrifice our kids to nonsense like Little League and games and sports and, and, and colleges? I mean, when you do these things, you're taking them out of the game. Yeah. You take them completely out of the spiritual game. You're allowing them to be influenced by things that they shouldn't be influenced. You're throwing them into the jaws of hell, into the world, because now you're asking for somebody else to give their opinion and stuff it into your son's head. And how's that going to work? Tell me that doesn't happen in college. Wait. <laughs> you know anything about that? Yes, sir. 
All I'm saying is, let's instruct our kids and our sons, let's grow them into strong men by teaching them what is right, teaching them what is good, teaching them what the Lord has previously showed us and taught us to make them better men than we are. Amen. Are we agreed? Amen. Amen. When you're thinking about that subject, we can't help but move to the third one, which is a willing mind. And I simply want to say, Regarding little league, college sports, even occupational things like the constant affirmation to your children that they'll never become anything in this world if they don't get this kind of education or this kind of job. You know how satanic that is? I mean, you can smile and say it. You can have the best intentions in the world. You could even make the claim that because you're white, this is the only reason that uh, you succeed or don't succeed. You might tell your child that because he's a minority, if he doesn't get a certain kind of education, there's no way that he can succeed. But the question is, does that pass biblical muster? Is that true? With a man filled with the Spirit of God, obeying the Spirit of God, he can succeed in any situation. If you show me a Spirit-filled flower, I can plant it in the center of concrete and it will bloom. The truth is, we often let our fears affect the way that we talk to our children. When you tell somebody that because you are short, you are tall, you are Mexican, you are Vietnamese, you are white or you are black, you are different than everybody else, you are crippling them. And I believe you need to stop. Which takes us to a willing mind. When we're talking about serving God with a willing mind, Understand that the mind is the front lines of the battle. Joshua 1.8 says something. Now, listen to me carefully. It says this to men. It says this to women. It says this to Hispanics. It says this to uh, those that speak Arabic languages. It says this to every group in this room. And we have 19 or 20 nations right here in this room. It says this to every one of you. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. What makes a man prosperous? What makes a man successful? What if he's black? What if he's white? What if he's Vietnamese? What if he's got a beard? What if he's fat? <laughs> See, it really doesn't matter, does it? Don't you fall into the trap of letting the world set boundaries for you that you pass on to your children. Friends, that's racist. The word of God is the difference between human beings. And when it comes down to it, the human race is divided into two categories. The saved and the unsaved. And the unsaved come in every variety and every nationality. But those of us that have been born again, we're born of the blood of the covenant. It's thicker than the water of the womb. We are the same race. We're of the heavenly race. We're descendant from a higher order. It don't matter what color you are. How about we let the Lord instruct us in these matters as opposed to entities out there? How about we be careful and guard what comes into the lives of our sons? There's so much bad stuff out there. 
we really have to be careful. So we're going to teach our sons based on 2 Corinthians 10.5. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. When your mind starts to wander, when you start getting into all kinds of funk and, and incorrect th- thought and, and, and activity, get into the scripture and filter these things to the mind of Christ. He will tell you, but not only that, you know what the mind of Christ is. You have this word. You know exactly what it is. You really don't have to think very far about this because you know what's wrong and you know what's right. Amen. So use this verse. Carry it with you. Glue it to your forehead if you have to. It is, it is, it is gold. Amen. It is gold. And the reason I say glue it to your forehead, somebody can remind you that it's there when you forget. <laughs> we'll jump to Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get in the Word. Fix your mind. I mean, if if you want to sit in front of the TV for hours, watch sports for hours, get out there and do mindless things, daydreaming, this is going to destroy what the Lord is trying to do in your life. It'll put you back a bunch of steps. But renew your mind. Get in this Word every day. Pray. Study. Look for things. Ask the Lord what, the, what kind of things He expects from you every day that you get up. So that way, you won't start making your own agenda. The Lord will show you the things that you need to do. Do not rely on yourself for these things, men. Look to God to do this for you so that we can show our sons how to exactly duplicate that pattern. It is, it is critical in their growth. Amen. As men... There's nothing that could be more important than the battle for your children's mind. You would never let some harmful pervert come and whisper in your daughter's ear. Why on earth would we expose our sons to worldly thought in other places? Teaching them the word and how to fight for the mind of Christ is everything. Come on, somebody say it's everything. Everything. We want to move on now down this list. We've gone... Acknowledge the God of your father. Of course, he must be your God to do that. Serve wholeheartedly, implying that the father served wholeheartedly and the son would already know how. A willing mind. David fought to keep his mind pure. The Psalms are complete with it. And he was telling Solomon to keep his mind pure, which leads us to pure motives. James 3.16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition... There you find disorder and every evil practice. So, do we need to seek the Lord in these matters? Because, you know, if, if left to ourselves, we just might make a mistake and have the wrong reasons for doing the things that we do. It's true. If your motives are to advance the kingdom and to teach your sons and to bring them up behind you as better men than you, you're on the right track. But if you're afraid... If you're afraid for any reason, if you're afraid that that college degree is something that they just can't live without, if they're afraid that they're going to be, grow up into men that are bigger and stronger than you and, and stronger in the faith, then you've then you got real problems and we need to talk about that. These fears have no place in this. It is evident as we go through the word that our sons need to be greater than we are. It is so evident. It is so evident as they do the work. Look. Let's just get down to it, all right? Would you agree? <laughs> Would you agree that the stuff 
that took us 20 or 30 years to figure out, we could help our sons do in five, and that's good. I mean, does anyone disagree that that would be a great thing to do? So let's consider the motives. Let's consider why we do things. And let's try, by the power of, of the Lord, to make it so that our sons can excel and persevere and do better than we are in a faster amount of time, in a quicker, in a quicker amount of time. This is, this is what's, uh, what's very important. And then by doing this, we are also teaching them that they need to have the right motives in their own hearts. Yeah. Okay? So... When they're looking at us and, and they're seeing that we're doing it for the right reason, they will also start doing it for the right reason. Yeah. Psalm 139 teaches us to examine our hearts. David is calling out to the Lord. He says, examine, search me, that my ways are pure. Show me the ways of eternity. This is where we need to be. So once again, if our motives come from our own minds, we're going to be in big trouble. But if we ask God to search our hearts, he will place what needs to be there, there. Man, that's a good word. That's a better word than you're acting like it is. I'd like to suggest to you that David planted a pure motive in Solomon's heart. Whose idea was it to build the temple? Solomon wake up one day and say, you know what I really want to do, Dad? I want to build the temple. He didn't, did he? It was always David's dream to build the temple. And God revealed to David that it would need to be Solomon. And so David's talking to Solomon about pure motives, but he's telling him you're going to build the temple. See, the talios, again, of every father is to raise up a son that is more capable than you, that is fit to do the things you were unfit to do. Let me talk to you about some ways this shows up in our life and casual speech that's wrong. We look at our children... And somebody says, should your kid be doing that? And you're like, well, you know what I was doing at his age. Yeah, but you were a scumbag. (laughs) And you're raising him to be a soldier for Christ. Problem is, is you don't hate your former life that much. You still want to live vicariously through your children. So maybe you were a second-rate football player. Because it's my experience that most people that are still talking about football were pretty terrible at it. I knew them when they were there. It's true. (laughs) So you tell your son that you were a superstar and you put pressure on him to be a superstar. And what do you win for that? You know, a couple injuries, a child that learns to value all of the wrong things. I mean... Do we really want to invest in children's games for their future? We ought to think through that seriously. Our motive needs to be pure and not selfish. The things that you're directing your children towards need to be the things that God is directing them for. Look, your son, your son should want to be just like you. And you need to be a man who is worth imitating. Which means that he sees your life, your doctrine, your progress, and he knows what he needs to grow beyond. Come on now. If you're sitting in the room as a lady and you're like, this is a lot like a Father's Day message, you know. uh, That's somewhere in June. Yeah, no, we actually preach about the things that this congregation needs. And when I look out here, what I see are young families. Everywhere. I want you to know that your investment is worth it. 
I want you to know that you do not have to become worldly all of the sudden because you've become responsible parents. That the spirit that brought you this far does not now want you to turn to human effort to obtain it. If you didn't get your bride through human effort, if God brought your bride from another continent because there was not one worth marrying on this continent, please don't think then that you have to turn to worldly means to raise your son. If you were filled with the Spirit and born of God and that has brought you this far, I keep looking back and seeing Alex Adarmes. And I remember how God brought him in this church. I remember his beautiful wife and how she walked through the door. They have embarked on one of the most difficult tasks that people can do. And I'm here to say it's worth it. There is no way to measure the fruit that is going to come from Kaysen's life, from Wesley's life, from Hudson's life, based on the difficulty of this stage. All we know is what happens is if they give up. We know what happens if they don't do it well. But it's immeasurable what happens if they do it well, and they're doing a pretty fine job. I would encourage you all to pray for them. They've taken on a monumental task, and they're winning. When I look out here and I see Mario and Alicia with all of those beautiful girls, it gives me hope that my grandsons may have daughters one day, or may have wives one day. You know, this is not a Father's Day message. This is the basic building block of humanity message. And the reason the world thinks masculinity is toxic is because they're diseased stock. They're sick. They're dying and on their way to hell. Masculinity is the most godly, attractive thing on the planet. That brings us to number five. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. You know, I, I watched the video the other day, and, and the video is called The Demasculization of Man. And this guy starts like this that video. <laughs> he starts, this is a guy that, you know, big beard, strong. And uh, he is talking about how society is starting to turn men into women. And, you know, if you look around, you can see that a lot. You see a lot of effeminate behavior. You see a lot of guys that are not looking like guys anymore. Sometimes it's even literal. Yes. Yeah. And so we gotta we gotta fight this. We gotta battle this, man. We have to we have to stand up to this and be men and raise our sons to be men. Yeah. Absolutely. When we do that. You have to learn to seek him in every situation. So we have seven things that David told Solomon. Acknowledge the God of your father. Serve him wholeheartedly with a willing mind, pure motive, seeking him in every situation. Come on, somebody. That's good advice, isn't it? Seeking him in every... How do you handle problems? Because how you handle problems will teach your son how to handle problems. When I read this today, the first thing that came to mind was 2 Kings 19. It begins in verse 14, and I'll read it to you. I rarely lie when I preach and never when there's an elder on stage with me. (laughs) Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers, and he read it. Man, this letter insulted God. This letter insulted Hezekiah. The letter literally said that Hezekiah was going to have to drink things you don't want to drink and eat things you don't want to eat. And you have no idea how polite I'm being about that. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. I'm sorry, verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. 
O Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib. He has sent to insult the living God. How you handle your problem is how your children will learn to handle their problems. Do you spread out your problems before the Lord? Or do you hide every problem from your children? See, there's two ways you can make this mistake. You can shelter them and they'll never know how to deal with the problem. Or you can walk in and just be fleshly. And when you throw throw things, you can yell at your wife. You can kick your dog. You can storm out. You can go drink too many beers. There's so many ways that you can do this wrong. And there's only one way that you can do it right. You seek him in every situation. What kind of situation? You seek him in every situation. Do you know what you'll teach your children to do? Drop to a knee and seek him in every situation. Can we all agree that it's easier to give lip service to that than to demonstrate it consistently? You should want to be better men so that your children will be better men. Fathers... It's time to rise up and be what God's called you to be because that is how your children go further than you and we need your children to go further than you. Is there a father in the house that will stand up and say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Good word, Pastor. (laughs) Matthew 6.33 Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So, right here I'm going to talk a little bit about Superman, all right? <laughs> your, your kids, the smaller they are, the more you appear to them as Superman, right? You are, you are, you are like a little god to them, man, when they're little. My dad can do everything. He's the strongest thing around. There's nothing he can't do, all right? You have this opportunity, this golden opportunity, as Superman in the eyes of your children, to lead them along, man. You have their attention. You have, I mean, you have captivated them, and all they see is this incredible rock in front of them. Right, Daniel? (laughs) Big rock. Some would say boulder. (laughs) (laughs) My point here is simply that when you have this when they see you this way okay whatever you're doing they're going to enjoy seeing all right if you if you spread yeah. out your problems before the lord and they want you to do that this is what they're going to learn because my dad's a stud he knows what to do and if he's doing this then it must be right so whatever righteous things you you, you decide to to do the smaller they are the quicker they'll pick it up and as they grow it'll just become normal to them and it'll also cause them to do the same thing so why not get on that train and just stay, on, stay focused on this and be totally transparent before your family and before God and teach them to be the same way because this is really going to help them as, as they grow. And it's the only way you can do it. There, there is no other way to do this. When you're thinking about that subject, I think any parent that has been a parent a while has had the embarrassing moment where your child repeats something that you said. I'd love to tell you that story now, but it's not appropriate. You know what's a fantastic moment as a parent? 
when your child repeats something that you said that's godly and you had no idea they were paying any attention. When you turn and look and they're praying beside you, the day that you look down and realize that their hands are raised and they're praying in other tongues and you don't know how it happened because they've just always been there. Yeah? Church, the investment you're making right now in your children, it's worth it. It's worth it. Charlie Brown has known me since uh, I was 18 years old. He's watched me become a father. He's watched me become a grandfather. Consistent application of these principles will yield results that will bless you in the years to come in ways you cannot possibly imagine now. That takes us to our next one. Can I comment? Oh, yes. Yeah, the elders do. Sorry about that. I see my... uh... My, my granddaughter, Jael, um, she prays with us. She's a little bit over three years old. She, she prays with us regularly. She prays for other people. She will depart the lunch table and go pray for other people in a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, she worships freely. I see Josh and, and Deacon and Levi, those guys are worshiping. This is what we're talking about. They are seeing us do it. They're emulating. All right? What happens later is magnifying. That's the beautiful part, man, because they, they do it so much more and so much better than we do. So as we, yeah. as we, uh, as we do this, they're, they're seeing. My, my grandchild sees her parents do what they're doing, and, 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 she, and she does it. They work it. They insist. They, 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 they discipline. But you see, that's what it takes, and, and, and that's what they're going to do. They're going to do what we do. So look at yourself and who you are and what your position is right now and realize that whatever you are is what you're raising, okay? You know, I, I did think of a story that I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> Judah had his 21st birthday uh, yesterday. And, uh, amen, two, two children and uh, uh, married an amazing godly woman. He loves the Lord and... Uh, But it was not always this way. Uh, We were once in a small storefront church, and uh, our door to the children's church was much like this one. And uh, Jennifer's been on the worship team since the dinosaurs were roaming the earth. And so she was was up singing, and I was on my knees at the altar. Glasses back then. I uh, unfortunately have glasses again now when I have to read. But then I needed them just to see. And I was at the altar, and I was praying with my hands raised, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this. The things that you've called me to do, uh, the, the stress of work and trying to figure out all of this. In other words, I was right where many of you are right now. And the most frustrating part was that I was only seeing my children for a little bit before work, and when I got home, it was already dark. They were mad. I had been gone all day. We were at church all of the time. And there was just a lot of frustration. It's actually, uh, despite what I tell you when I'm pastoring, it was the first time I noticed I was losing my hair, you know. And uh, I'm at the altar, and I'm just, you have to help me, Lord. Now, what do you think happens next? A shining light in Charleston Heston's voice, right? (laughs) No, the children's church door burst open. Judah came running. He was a little older than Titus. He tackled me from behind, pulling my glasses off of my face and was laughing at the discipline of the teacher in the other room. <laughs> you know, it was not the answer to the prayer that I was, I was looking for. 
And I didn't know then what that hard work was going to produce now. But I do now, and I'm telling you, it's worth it. Somebody say it's worth it. As I'm beginning that subject, remember that David was unfit to build the temple. And he tells Solomon to build the temple. It was his son's work because his son would go further than him. Can I tell you that my son is starting uh, at, at a place that is so much further than I started at? David rejoiced in the fact that his son would accomplish things that were only in David's dream. I had been dreaming about the Middle East since right after I got born again. It's only in the last few years I got a chance to make it to the Middle East. At the beginning of Judah's adult life, he is already in the Middle East. See, that is how it's going to be with you and your sons. The things that God has given you, they will complete. But you must put in the hard work now, and it is worth it. So we go to First Chronicles 29.3. And here is where, where we see what sacrifices are necessary. This, this, is, uh, this is something that I really enjoyed because it, it shows that it's kind of countercultural in, in, in just about everywhere else in, in the world. You don't see this kind of thing, but it's really beautiful. Uh, verse 3 says, Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I provided for this holy temple. So David is now, he has prepared his son to take on this task. All right, so, so we, can, we can say that Solomon is ready spiritually, he's ready with his intellect, he's ready to start working. But you see, David goes an extra step. He takes everything he has, personal wealth. So he, he's taken everything that he has as a king. Now yep. he's saying, everything that I personally own. All right, I'm throwing it in because I want my son to succeed. And that's what happens. Right, he sets him up to succeed. And that's a beautiful thing. So to my question to you men today, all right, do you have this kind of a mindset? Or do you have a mindset that says, well, I need to kind of be careful what I do here because I, you know, they, they, they can kind of, they, they, they need to do their own thing. They need to learn how to be independent. They need to fend for themselves. Look, I don't know, man, because look, I'm asking you this. Can you look in your son's eyes, okay? Can you look in your son's eyes right now and can you tell them, I am willing to do whatever it takes for you to succeed in the kingdom, all right, whatever it takes. So that means you don't hold anything back. You do whatever it takes. Whichever way they're going, you forge that path. You create a foundation that they need to succeed and to be better than you, all right? Solomon learns from his father the same way. This is the real beautiful yeah. thing, all right? In the dedication of the ten, uh, temple in Second Chronicles 7, 4, after all the sacrifices have been made by the offerings of the people, Solomon comes in with his own, gosh, I don't have the scripture, but it's like th- thousands. thousands and thousands of animals that he came with from his own personal possessions, okay? That's beautiful. I mean, you know, this, this shows that, that he really picked up on this thing and that he's now living it himself just as his, his father had taught him. So whatever it takes, man, whatever it takes. 
to make our son succeed. I don't want to belabor the point, but I, I do want to make sure that we're catching it. We live in a non-biblical society. I, I, I know uh, we've just had famous Christian leaders die, and you see on TV how they've been friends of presidents and how many people have been affected and all, and yet we, we have been a wicked nation. We kill more babies than anybody else uh, in the world, uh, more than most countries put together. Our, one of our major exports is pornography. It, it is incredible how wicked we are, and we've been blessed because of a righteous remnant. When we're thinking about this subject, how many of you live in the house that your parents or your parents' parents or your great-grandparents built? See, not one hand in the room. Uh, the idea in the biblical society was that everything that you accumulated in your life was for the next generation, not for you. But our idea is that we're accumulating things so that we don't have to work hard in the last third of our life. That was never, never, nowhere found in the Bible. And the only reason that I'm bringing it up is David wanted to build the temple. He couldn't build the temple. So he saved everything that he could and he invested all of it in his son. His son learned from that and his son learned that it's an all-in prospect. Amen. Everything for the kingdom. We ought to be looking for ways to make sure that we're all in for our children's spiritual future. If I ask some of you who are very prudent in here, you're thinking about how you'll pay for their college, but you've never thought about how you'll fund their ministry. So don't tell me where you're invested. Your actions show where you're invested. <laughs> okay? My hope, my hope is that what we're doing is encouraging you to consider doing this a different way. Uh, if, if you are sure that your son needs to go to college, then certainly do that. If it's a part of his calling, certainly do that. I love an education. I read as much as anybody in this church, I promise. Uh, but the point is that we are completely invested in the success of the next generation. The reason that most ministries don't successfully transfer through the generations is the generations are selfish. And I don't want that to be the case here. I want us to be selfless. We're going to pray for people before this is over who don't have children to have children. And you're going to have them. And we're going to pray for those of you who do have children. And you're going to be blessed in it. You know why? God wants to change the world. And he's going to do your children. He's going to use your children to do it. He's going to do that. E even the ones that think that he's not. We're going to win with them too. I promise. Every one of them. Our children are our arrows. They are our arrows to contend with the enemy at the city gates. I'm convinced that the work of God cannot be accomplished in one man's lifetime. That your investment in your son is your dividend in the kingdom. Amen. Your investment in your son is your dividend in the kingdom. So we need to learn to be strong and do the work, yeah? So if you practice the first three, six things, yeah. then you will learn this stuff is all will all come together and you will be strong and you will be able to do the work. Amen. That's the I truth. Mean, acknowledge your God, serve wholeheartedly, willing mind, pure motives, seeking him in every situation, build a temple. That's a big piece of work. That's a big piece of work. Be strong and do the work. So these are excellent motivating things. But better than that, they're, they're motivated by God. 
So if we follow this course, we will be strong and we will be able to do the work. Yeah. Let's just say very safely that in this pattern, if you adhere to this pattern from generation to generation, things will take off, things will grow, the kingdom will grow, the church will spread. I think that we have not a guarantee, pretty sure thing, that if we hold to this pattern, things will work. Yeah. Amen to that. You know, we see this carry through to the New Testament in a way that you may not have anticipated. And uh, we have some 17 minutes left. And I want to make sure that we get this in a way that captures every heart in the room, not just those who are sitting next to their sons. Because uh, we, we need your daughters. We need those of you who are single to be married. We need... Uh, Godly families. This church, it was revealed to us that we would start with the life that is in front of us. They would turn into families, and those families would affect the nations. We've been saying for many, many years now that our vision was much bigger than our resources, and that's never been any truer than it is today. Of course, it didn't have to be completed in our lifetime, and that is a bit of a new revelation. So I want to take a familiar scripture with you. Is that okay? You're not sleepy, are you? In John, the first chapter and the 12th verse. You can turn there with me. And we're going to go ahead and display these on the screen. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, when somebody reads you your right, it's rights, it's not usually a good thing. You usually are going from a position where your hands are on a police car to behind your back with pretty little bracelets on. But when God tells you that you have a right, it's truly an inalienable right. It's one that a king can't take away from you. It's one that the Congress can't vote out of you. It is a right that you become children of God. Now, what is beautiful about that is if you're sitting here and you've not had a good father, if these things have only painful memories or associations for you, today you can have a good father by becoming his child. You can have that. But here is something that's instructive for you and for those of us who have children. Matthew 5.48 says, Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If He is your Father, what does He tell you? Be perfect. Man, that's a high task. But do you know what it reveals? The revelation in that is your children will aim for what you are. Every child wants to be what his Father is. You are setting the the precedence for what your child wants to become. When a child is little... Very young. You ask him what he wants to do, he points to dad. It's a little girl, it points to mom. Later on, they get the misguided idea that a policeman or a fireman is what they want to do. Then they find out what they make and they find out what they have to deal with each day and they don't want to do that anymore. A father represents God to his family. See, that's the thing that we have to get hold of. This is hard. Well, yeah, it's hard to represent God. 
A father represents the character, the nature, the actions of God to his family. You know what that means? That means that what Keith accepts, Devlin will believe God accepts. What Keith loves, Devlin will believe that's what God loves. What he hates, Devlin will believe that's what God hates. When Josiah wants to know what God is like, the only way that Josiah can relate to God is through J.J. In fact, in the Older Testament, there's about 11 times the word father is used in relation to God. Of those 11, all of them, I mean all of them, are in some way a prophetic utterance that could be attributed to Jesus Christ. 270-something times in the Gospels alone, Jesus calls God Father, how do we pray? Our Father who is in heaven. This is because in the basic building block of life, when you look at your Father, He was supposed to represent God so that God could then turn and say, you speak to your Heavenly Father the same way you do your earthly Father. You obey your Heavenly Father the same way you do your earthly Father. What an awesome responsibility, huh? You represent God to your family. You ever met people that thought God hated them? Where do you get an idea like that? See, the great news about this is you represent God to your family. I can look at my wife and say, sweetheart, I know that your emotions are all over the place right now. I know that you're upset. God is happy with you. But I just don't feel, I just, it's okay. It's my job to know that God is happy with you. But how do you know? Because I'm exceedingly happy with you. And my mind is being renewed like Christ and my thoughts are like His. He's happy with you because I'm happy with you. You can look at your children and they can wonder if they're doing enough. They can wonder whether or not the Lord is happy with them. And I can look at Abby and say, yes, God is happy with you, honey. You're in love with him and there is grace to carry you through this difficult time. God loves you. How do you know God loves you? Because daddy loves you. You represent God to your family. Now, to some people that would sound strange, but it's because they're unacquainted with the Holy Writ. If you become acquainted with the word, you will learn to say, your father's God. The shepherd who has watched over me all of my life will watch over you. Well, how do you know it? Because he's my God before he's your God. Oh, come on now. See, our children are going to inherit a heritage. They'll be able to look and say, my father's God has been with me all of these years. And son, he'll be with you too. Of course, the grandson will look and say, my father's God. Amen. The Newer Testament book of prophecy, the book of Revelation, has serious instruction on this point. Why don't you all turn to Revelation? Revelation 2, 26 through 28. Excuse me. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. 
So what is the Lord talking about here? Jesus, the King of Kings. We are raising kings for the Lord. I don't think y'all heard that. (laughs) You you evidently didn't understand it. You're not raising welfare recipients. you're, You're not raising the next entitlement class. You, you are not raising victims. What are you raising? Kings. What are you raising? Kings. We are raising kings Amen. that in this world will rule over nations. Come on now. So look at what's happening here. All right. We are raising kings. We are seeing the Vincents in Indonesia. We are seeing the Brassals on the way down to Peru. We're seeing the Turkey team on their way that that side, and we're seeing Triester on his way to Israel, and there's a lot more that we don't know yet. There's plenty more. But the point is that as we raise our kids, man, we have to raise them kings before Christ, kings that will, that will, that will rule correctly, using that word correctly, and, and rule by the Holy Spirit. This is what's important to us. And i got to tell you, it is not too late. It is not too late in here. If you feel like you've fallen behind, if you feel like your family's out of control, your kids won't listen to you, it's not too late. It's no, not it's too late. This can be done. The pattern is laid out so beautifully. Wade's teaching on, on, on parenting is laid out so beautifully. It is not too late to start building a family to come behind you and do better things that, uh, and bigger things that you've done. And I want to also, how many single men in here? <laughs> You're going to have to learn to get your hand higher if you ever hope to find a wife, Michael. Yeah, I'm up go. here and I can't hardly see Put you. it up there, man. So I want to ask you something. Are you guys actively praying for your sons, even before they're born? Are you asking the Lord to bring you sons? Are you asking the Lord to even now start giving you the wisdom to be able to bring them up in the ways that, that they should be brought up? And if not, I encourage you to start doing that. Because it is never too early, and it is definitely never too late. We're approaching our very last scripture for the morning. But I want to ask you again. What did David raise? He raised Solomon to be a king. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. He's not the king of puppers. He's not the king of the janitorial staff. He's not the king of the engineer class. He's the king of kings. We ought to be raising children to be more than children, more than adults, more than good citizens, more than average Christians. We ought to be raising them to be kings over nations because the word clearly says, To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. So let me ask, do you want your children to do his will till the end? Do you want them to overcome? Then you better prepare them to be kings because that's what the word of God says they will become. If you can't trust your 30-year-old, your 20-year-old, your 15-year-old, To do something that you could do at 15, then you're failing. They're not. Listen, we better grab hold of this. And we're going to. The reason that we took the time 
and we're trying to be respectful of your time. Or I'm going to take five more minutes. The reason that we took the time to do this is because when we look around, we see people who have children and people who are about to have children everywhere. And we recognize something. This is an extraordinary investment in God's work that is coming ahead of us. And we have the opportunity to right the wrongs of the previous generations in this one right now. There will be churches that spring from us that will have a rich pool of elders. There will be churches that spring from us that will have a rich pool of fivefold ministers to choose from. There will be churches that spring from us in all the nations of the world that your children will lead. So don't aim too low for them. They ought to be kings with Christ. Our last scripture is in 2 John. Now, if you don't have the book of 2 John memorized, and who doesn't, right? I think you probably are to turn there and say there when you were there. John is an old man at this point. He's outlived all of his friends. That's a tough place to be. Most of them have died in the most brutal ways. All of them, except the first few, died outside of Israel. What must it have been like for John? When they boiled him in oil, it didn't kill him. When they sentenced him to make idols on the island of Paphmos, it didn't stop him. And look what he writes in one of his last letters. Verse 4. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth. Just as the Father commands us. Who commands it? See, you need to know here, today, that the things that we're talking about, they're not our preferences. The things that we're talking about, they're not just our styles. The things that we're talking about, this is not just, you know, the Stephen Zaragina culture. The things we're talking about are the things that the Father commands. The Father never commanded you to put your kid in Little League. If you do it, that's okay. You do what you feel led to do. But He didn't command that. What He did command is that you turn your child into a fire-breathing, spirit-filled, devil-stomping saint. The Father never commanded you To make sure that your child is indoctrinated in a secular university and turns into a God-hater like all of the sodomite teachers that are handling him. He did command you to turn him into a saint that will turn the world upside down. We need to adjust our priorities. We need to take a hard look at it. The Father commands these things. They are the things that the Father has commanded. And here's the best part. If this verse is true, it will give you great joy when you complete that command. Now, I am now on my third grandchild. And I have a sneaking suspicion there's more 
on the way. <laughs> Amen. I don't know why you're nervous, Steph. I mean. <laughs> Wendy's saying, I mean, I mean. <laughs> Sasha's glad that she's in the lounge right now. <laughs> Here's the thing. Those grandkids and your kids, they're budding patriarchs. And they're powerful. And their masculinity is magnificent when it's applied correctly. Amen. We're going to have a message here soon called Femininity and Other Superpowers. But today we're focusing on holy masculinity. So I want to ask you something as we close. Are there wives in here that need to repent because you've been protecting your children from your husband? You soften his discipline. You see, it is your job to make sure that his direction is more well-rounded than it is. Have you been getting in the way of your husband being the man that he is called to be. Because it's out of vogue to be a man right now. Husbands, have you dropped the ball in leading your wife? Does she read her Bible more than you do? Is she the first to say, let's pray? Praise God if you've got one that's that way, but that was always your job, not hers. Do you see the children as her responsibility? Because you're sorely mistaken if you think the children are your wife's responsibility. The children and your wife are your responsibility. Do you need to repent because you feel burdened when you have to spend time with your own children? You would rather be doing something else. Because the highest honor... And the highest calling that God has ever given this church are the little ones that are running around and about to be running around. And as highly called as so many of you are, and as amazing as so many of you are, and it's been my great joy to pastor you all of these years, your children better be better men and women than you are. And we're going to do that together. Can you all say amen? Amen. Could we stand to our feet?